I'm Hera. And I'm Aisha. And we are the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice, or SMCs. Like you, as SMCs, we decided to become mothers knowing we'd be the sole care provider and parent of our children, at least at the outset. And the Mocha is for Black. We discuss being SMCs from an intentionally Black lens. You'll connect with all the interesting and fun things about this non-traditional path. Like how you decide which sperm to use, the cold, hard truth of fertility, your reality of dating as a single mother who doesn't have a co-parent to rely on for occasional childcare, and what it's actually like to parent as an SMC. This is the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice podcast. So one question in particular that continues to come up in the space is, how much do I need in savings before I can have a baby? And so this sparked Aisha and I thinking about really having an episode where we talk about the down and dirty of finances. So first, you will never feel like you have enough money and it will never feel like the right time to have a baby. But parents have been doing this since the beginning of time. And the Mocha SMCs are here to help you through with some of the things you should consider related to finances and what you can do before having the baby so that you can put your new family in a solid financial situation. Okay, so Aisha, how would you answer the question, how much should I save before having the baby? That's a good question, Hera. So my short response would be, similar to what you said, people across an entire economic spectrum have been having babies for centuries, you know, across the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so how much money do you need to have a baby? None. It depends, right? And so for me, um, now current day, I know SMCs who are in the $35,000 salary range for having kids. And I know SMCs who are in the mid six figure range um, now on the side of parenting. And I can tell you what they all collectively say is that there is just never enough money to have kids. So if you're waiting for that, that moving target, because it will keep moving to say this is the right time, it's never going to really come in a crystal form. So you just have to move forward. For me, I'm more so advise SNCs to have a plan. I think you need to have a job. And if you're an SNC where you can plan, I think you also have a plan for how to get that money, right? So if you have a plan, then you could also put a little bit away for savings. So I think you should have a job and at least have a small savings and but mainly have a plan for how this is all going to work. So yeah, I think this answer depends on a lot of factors. Like first, the cost of living is vastly different depending on where you live. And so that should factor in. But another thing that I just thought of right now is that I know that now I think a lot has changed in the global pandemic. And I think one of the things that's really interesting is that a lot of jobs have gone virtual. And so I think this will kind of cause parents to think like, okay, should I really be living here where I am right now? Or can I maybe relocate closer to family, closer to friends who could potentially help out with childcare uh, or maybe just a cheaper area so that I can afford to have the things that I want and, you know, potentially send my child to the daycare that, that I want. And so I think it's really important for moms or moms to be to break down what their monthly spending is right now, like without baby, And really start thinking about what are the things that I spend my money on monthly that I maybe could live without, right? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need to get the bougie coffee every morning from like your favorite coffee shop down the street. You could maybe make more coffee at home 
Or, you know, are you getting your hair done more or your nails done? Okay. Yes. We should still have like self-care, but -hmm. what are some of the things that you could cut back on? And then think about how much extra you're going to need to make ends meet when you have the baby. And so I would say that one of the largest expenses, at least I found is childcare, things like childcare, diapers, clothing, and there's lots of parenting hacks for all of these things. But I think you have to, especially with something like childcare, I always encourage parents to think of what is going to make you feel safe. Mm-hmm. You are going to have to drop your kids off at this place and be sa- you feel safe walking away <laughs> and mm-hmm. knowing that you can get your stuff done. And so figure out how much is that going to cost me? And don't think that you have to have a childcare situation that is just one way. You don't have to send your kid to a center. Uh, It could look like something else. So let's talk about different childcare options. So I did want to circle back to a point, uh, something that you said that I, I think is really important. Two things you said that I think are really important. One is that look at your expenses with a critical lens, like be honest with yourself about the things that are on your expenses now pre-baby that could potentially come off that list because everything, every bill that you have, anticipate having those same bills when the baby is here, plus childcare, plus diapers, Mm -hmm. plus clothing, plus extra food, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's, um, thought number one. Thought number two is that it's not just going to be coffee that you need to remove from that list, right? It's all of these things. You want to think in terms of $500. Can I take $500 worth of expenses off of that list and save that $500? So it's the coffee. It's the fall boots and the winter boots. Do you need both, right? It's the it's the wardrobe. It's the, mm-hmm. you know, vacation. So if you know you're trying to conceive, do you do five big vacations that year or do you just do three? So you're thinking in terms of chunks of money that you mm-hmm. can save. So it's not just the coffee. It's not just the nails. It is chunks of money. Childcare. So yeah, so let's talk about childcare. I I did some searching around before before this before this show because I was curious, like, okay, how much are people really spending on childcare? And so here's an average. So care.com did a recent survey, and this was you know just before the pandemic. So a little dated, but generally, I think probably similar. So they said most families, about 72% of the ones that reported in the study reported that they spend roughly 10% of their income on childcare. And in the same survey, about 55% of the families reported spending at least 10,000 a year on childcare. So to put this in perspective, the annual cost for in-state college tuition for a four-year university is about $9,410. So many families, most families are spending this in daycare per year. And so that's, that's, definitely going to be, you know, plus or minus in certain areas. I know, you know, Aisha and I live in the Washington DC area where childcare is very astronomically high. And I would say 10,000 is probably on the pretty cheap end per annual year. And I would love to find out how people are paying that in this area. However, this is national average. So, you know, it's factoring in areas that are not as expensive for me, like daycare is super important because again, I was like, I needed to feel safe. And there were some hacks that I did. One of the things I did was I just 
I, I tried to figure out, okay, how much can I leverage my village? <laughs> how many days a week? Or like potentially it could be like aftercare. So maybe you have a school age child and you know, you, you have somebody you can pick them up. So you don't have to take those expenses. These are the things that I would encourage people to think about and also understand that childcare actually goes down. So I think a lot of people don't realize like newborns, diapers, very high maintenance, and also newborns have a different ratio, like teacher to kid ratio. So that's going to be the most expensive time. So when you're looking for daycare and you're seeing these prices for like, you know, a six to three month old, six week to three month old, you're probably thinking, holy cow, I'm going to be spending this for what, like five years until my kid is in kindergarten. That's not true. It's going to be a lot, but that first year is probably going to be the largest bill you will have. So if you can start saving during the pregnancy stage, it'll help offset that cost. And then when your child actually potty trains, that goes down significantly and it's not quite as painful. So I will say rule of thumb, um, what you will hear in a lot of SMC spaces is that if you are trying to conceive, and this is a, a, a standard question that we get, well, how are you paying for childcare? And the typical response is, Call around and find out how much childcare is in your area, general range, because right now you're trying to conceive. It doesn't have to be a definite number, but just a general mm -hmm. idea. And then start saving what you find to be the average per month. Mm -hmm. And so that serves two purposes. One, it gives your wallet a chance to feel what it's like to pay childcare, but then mm -hmm. also all of that savings in an interest bearing account eventually, you know, starts to add up so that then when your baby does make an appearance, you probably have a nicer cushion than you would have mm -hmm. had. Now, most people are not in positions to do that. So whatever you can put away um, is going to be a good thing. And I was in the ballpark of whatever I could put away is going to be a good thing. So I, I, I did do that. Now, as Hera was talking and Hera was talking about, you know, how daycare decreases as your child gets older. So having one child, let's say daycare, you know, is 1500 a month. That drop between infant care and then, you know, going into toddler care could be $150 a month. So yeah, just to have a perspective. Significant, significant, but right. I think the infant, the infant to toddler is usually a little bit more of a chunk. I mean, listen, it could be like maybe a couple hundred dollars, which isn't a ton, but is, is going to feel better right. than that right. top price. But I only say that because <laughs> I've been in spaces where SMCs are like, yeah. So people were like, once your kid goes to school, like the um, daycare rate drops that, you know, daycare, when your child enters school, like mm -hmm. daycare prices drop. And the reality is, is that you might, it might drop by a third because once they're mm -hmm. not in school, once they're not in daycare, you have school age care, then you have mm -hmm. summer camp, which mm -hmm. you could, you know, budget for across the 12 month period. And so summer it's about are expensive too. Right. Like, right. But ballpark, really ballpark yeah. it, it gets to be about a third, it dropped by about a third. So I just want to make sure mm -hmm. that we're, we're, we're keeping in perspective and giving kind of like real yeah. ballpark numbers so that people don't go into it thinking I was expecting not to pay anything for childcare once my kid entered school. And it's just like, okay, mm -hmm. well, you're still going to be paying. One of the considerations that SMCs need to have versus two parent households is that we don't have the flexibility oftentimes to have someone else picking our child up at 
you know, two thirty or something ridiculous like mm-hmm. that, which, mm-hmm. you know, I could go down a whole rabbit hole about why I think the whole nine to five work schedule is just not working for parents, but mm-hmm. that's one of the problems, right? Because not only if, a, if your child's school starts at nine o'clock, you know, you can't drop them off on the playground at like seven. So right. you can get to work on time. You're mm-hmm. dropping them off at nine or you're putting them in before care, which a lot of yep. schools will have, but it comes at a price. Yep. Yep. That's so, the cost. so for, for daycares, and then you have the, the drop in, in diapers, you know, once they come out of diapers mm-hmm. and they're, they're potty trained. So that is about, I mean, you do an Amazon search diapers might be about $29.99 for a month supply and that drops. So that's about a $30 difference. So all told as your child progresses incrementally, it gets cheaper Mm -hmm. and then it hits a plateau. Well, and I think there's also other things that factor in when your child gets older, depending on what kind of parent you want to be, right? Your kids are going to start asking for extracurricular expenses. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're when they're like one and two, they're not going to be like, mommy, I want to take tap dancing or I want to learn how to play the piano, right? Right. And so those are expenses that you have to that you have to account for as well. I also think it's never too early to be really having a reevaluation of your career as well. So I know several women will get to the TTC stage and they'll be like, you know, I'm looking around and I see all these other companies that are like paying for fertility benefits. And, you know, depending on how much time you have, right. And, and let's say, let's say you're in your mid thirties and you're thinking about this, uh, this path, you, you might do well looking for a job. If you're at that point where you can change that, that has those, ben- those fertility benefits. And I would encourage women to do that without the fear. Even if you started that job, in January and you started trying in February and you got pregnant a month later, like that's okay. Right. And, and, and and you can take your maternity leave just like everybody else without fear that people are going to be judgmental because really parents are doing it all the time. Well, and I will say this, I know when I started trying to conceive, I didn't really know of um, other SMCs, other black SMCs. So it would it would have been nice, you know, to if I were coming and what we're seeing in our space is that we have people who are coming like, oh, I'm going to try to conceive in a year or two years or, you know, December 2022 is my timeline. So I I would use that as the time to be like, hmm, can I get a job at Starbucks? You know, mm-hmm. can I get a job at a part time job at a company that has fertility benefits and then, you know, go through the process then and then be off and on my way. So I would be thinking kind of strategically. Now, when I started trying to conceive, I did have uh, an extra side job. So that did help to uh, offset the cost just a little bit. So I'm not just talking out like, yeah, go get a second job. It's no big deal. It is something extra that you're doing outside of your work hours. So it will also take a toll and be kind of exhausting. But if I had the single-minded focus of, I don't want to pay thousands of dollars to get pregnant, and this is an option, mm-hmm. I might've found the energy to do that three to four months and then be done with it. So, so before we move on to TTC, which is, which is a whole, a whole thing, because there's lots of things to juggle. I'm curious, Aisha, like, how did you think about childcare when you started researching? What are some of the things that you looked into? What are the different options and, and why? So I, when I was trying to conceive for my first, I don't think that I really looked into a lot of options. Like I knew that I wanted center-based care, but you have the different options are you could 
have family-based care, right? You got family members, you can incorporate your your village and kind of get family to get on board with taking care of the baby. You could do home-based childcare. You could do Mm -hmm. center-based childcare. You can do an au pair. You could do a nanny. You could do any combination of those. Mm -hmm. Um, I was never comfortable with the one-on-one dynamic of an adult with a child. And the only way that that was going to happen was that if it was me, with my child or another parent with my child. Um, Since it's just me and I would be working, I knew that I would be doing center-based care. I was also um, more comfortable with a center because I did not want to have one point of failure. So if perhaps the nanny or the one person who was running that private daycare fell ill, or something, I would be yeah, left yeah. having to scramble for childcare. And so I liked having multiple layers, multiple points of failure, like a pandemic would have had to happen in order for me to, you know, struggle and melt down over childcare, which did happen. And I did melt down. So I was not wrong on that part. So center-based care, um, it was for me. How about you, Hera? I was fortunate enough to have family who was able to take my kids for the first year And then it always gets to a point where, you know, your kid just starts wanting to be more active. And when they're toddlers, it's just really hard to deal with. And I have noticed that, yeah, just, I I would say right around six months, you know, anywhere from six months to a year when they kind of get out of the, just hold me all day phase, Mm -hmm. they really want to do things. And it's hard for anyone who's kind of one-on-one with a kid to really give them the same experience that they get from from a childcare location. And, and so, you know, some people are like, oh, but it's daycare. And I think sometimes daycare gets a really bad rap mm-hmm. because the kids actually learn a lot from daycare. And if it's a good situation where you go in and you actually, you, you like the program, many daycares will actually have a curriculum of some sort. Yes, and even yes. if it's like learning our colors or singing about such and such. And, you know, I, I am very thankful that I had the first year uh, and with my with my youngest, it was more like the first two because of the pandemic. I also am a proponent of center-based care. And I think in line with what you were saying about single point of failure, but also I have a lot of paranoia. And I know it's like previous trauma-based, you know, mm-hmm. about just safety. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to make sure, not that things can't happen in centers, right? We know that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that there were many adults paying attention because there's more of a chance that you would have a whistleblower if something went sideways. Uh-huh. Uh, whereas uh, many of the home daycares that I walked into, there weren't that many people. And, you know, even though you have maybe a smaller ratio of parent to or, or adult to child, I just don't trust people. <laughs> so yeah. it was really hard for me, but I do know lots of people who have used home daycares. And typically what I tell people is just make sure you get really good referrals. Yep. So if you have like a good friend who's used somebody, or maybe, you know, the childcare provider, it's a good friend of yours who has the daycare. I think those can be really great for kids mm-hmm. and, and often you can save some money. But uh, for me, I, I didn't, I didn't look into that option because I didn't know anyone and I wasn't comfortable enough uh, taking, taking the risk of not, of not having, person. 
So one one last thing on whether you use a center-based care or a home-based child care, I, I know many states, um, Virginia does have a state licensing um, database where you can go mm-hmm. and you can look up the center. But if you don't have that in your state, you can look up the center, see what their rating is, if they've been cited for any violations, if they are currently up to date on their licensing. But mm-hmm. you can also use Yelp. If your state does not have it, I found retroactively some, you know, feedback about my previous daycare also Mm -hmm. on Yelp. They do Yelp reviews. So I would just say, you know, kind of do your due diligence, whatever you choose. If you go with an au pair, ask for references. If you go with a nanny, ask for references, care.com, do background checking and all of that stuff. And then the second thing that Harris said, you know, sometimes in the spaces, we will get people who make comments. And I don't think that they are fully clued into their words. They're like, oh, I don't want to put my child in daycare and have somebody else take care of my kid. Okay. (laughs) So language does matter. And I think Mm -hmm. it matters in how we're triggered and how we're wired and what what you end up struggling with because of the mindset you went into it with. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of how much time your kid spends in daycare, most daycares have a time limit and mm-hmm. you're dropping off and you're picking up. And that is what five days a week, that's 40 hours a week that your child is being socialized and is getting learning and enriching and interactive mm-hmm. activity. The rest of the time it's on you. And so yeah. that kid is with you most of the time. And so I think as SNCs, we have to change the language in order to, to do what we need to do. And then to that, if you're confident and comfortable with your childcare situation, it's like set it and forget it. And then you can go and focus on your work, which is one of the things that I love about my childcare situation. Just blanket statement is that I feel that my kid is safe. My kid is having fun and an enjoyable time. And then I can go to work and I can focus my resources during my eight to five workday on getting my work done. And then I transition into mamahood when and I pick my kids up. But I think that mm-hmm. language does matter and the, 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 the stories that we tell ourselves matter. Well, so I also think for me, at least when I was looking for childcare, I really wanted to find something. I wanted to find a place where I knew that what they were learning, I couldn't teach them. Mm-hmm. And this is most places, by the way, like <laughs> because they are going to be doing <laughs> activities and like playing with glitter and all kinds of stuff that you don't want in your house. Right. But that said, I intentionally chose a bilingual preschool daycare situation for both of my daughters because mm-hmm. I really wanted them to be getting language skills that I couldn't give them. And it was a fantastic experience. And I remember with my oldest, she come, she came home one day and she told me that one of her best friends didn't speak English very well and the mom didn't speak English. So I needed to brush up on my Spanish because my Spanish was not good enough. <laughs> and she wanted me to call the mom and, and talk about play dates. And so I, I was, I was laughing about the fact that my kid was schooling my language skills at like the age of four, which Mama, she you was, need to step you know, your game up. she was like, your Spanish is terrible and <laughs> she's not going to understand you. I mean, the mom understood me. My Spanish is terrible, but it's good enough for me to communicate with the mom. But yeah, it was, it was, it was a prideful moment. Cause I was like, you know, this is something that I was really intentional about and mm-hmm. it made me feel good to know that she was getting that when she was in daycare. Well, Last thing I want to um, add to that is that not a lot of people have the skills to raise a tiny human from scratch. Hera, take it away. <laughs> that's, 
Touche. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk about housing. I know another really big, I mean, in addition to childcare, is like, where am I going to live? And how much space do I really need to raise my kid? So just from personal experience, when I first started this journey, I was in a very different financial situation than I am now. And I was working for the government, not making a whole lot of money. I had excellent benefits, but, you know, my salary was was not amazing. Uh, and and I was living in a one bedroom condo at that point. It was less than 600 square feet. And I had just dropped some money for trying. And one of my conscious decisions was, I know my kid's not going to have her own room, but mama can't afford to move out right now. So for the first year, we lived in a one bedroom apartment. She was in my room. I bought a mini crib because I couldn't fit like a real, like big size crib. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I bought like a target mini crib, which honestly she was like, was large enough to house her until she was ready for a toddler bed, which was surprising. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when it got to the point where childcare decreased a little bit and I had that extra couple hundred dollars a month, you know, and also had been able to negotiate my way into a raise at work. I was like, okay, now I can go to somewhere that she has her own room. But Aisha, how have you handled housing at the different stages of your family and the financial aspects of this? Well, I think I was all over the place um, and in a good way, um, but I was really strategic. So when I tried for my first, I lived in, I had bought my own home at that point. So I had like 1200 square feet um, of space and I lived in Pennsylvania with friends and family close by. Um, I had a nice SMC community. Uh, and then I was also traveling for work. And one of the places I traveled frequently was the DMV. And so once I knew that I was pregnant, I moved and I kept moving. So I moved from my house to an apartment in the DMV area. And what I learned was that, you know, rent increases each year. Mm -hmm. And I was not comfortable with that increase, but it was what it was at the time. Um, and so I tried for my first, I delivered, I was in the apartment and it was, you know, a fairly pricey apartment. And then I thought I would try for a second baby. And when I tried for the second baby, I, it was not two IUIs like it took to get my first. It was three IUIs. And at that point, I'm like, holy crap. I might have to really spend a lot more money here. And so at that time, my lease came up for renewal. So I moved to a cheaper apartment. So pretty much the moral of the story is I kept renting until I was done trying to conceive. And what happened was the flexibility of renting allowed me to decrease my rental um, spending as my costs for trying to have a baby increase. And so I was able to, to keep it um, stable until I moved to this one apartment where it was pretty much rent stabilized, but I was renting from an owner and I um, worked a lease that was the same amount for almost five years. And so in that time, I didn't have rental fluctuations. I kept trying for my baby, um, but my rent and my housing stayed static. And that was tremendously helpful in not having my bills get out of out of out of whack because at this mm -hmm. point I was <laughs> pulling money from everywhere that I can pull money from in order to um, 
complete my family. Um, but I say being a renter at the time that everything else um, was fluctuating, I needed that flexibility. So I kept renting until my second turn two, and I just bought a house. And so how much, how much house do you need? Well, I didn't have a house for most of my oldest daughter's life. Um, so that's okay. I lived in, we shared a room. Um, when I moved to DC. So again, you don't need a lot of space with an infant. And then I just moved into a 975 square foot house. It's a tiny house. And there are more people. But you know, but I think having the flexibility of what you do with that space is going to be key. So how creative are you with how you utilize space? Um, I also would encourage people to not try to keep up with the Joneses. I know there's a lot of people that are like, oh, you know, I have to, I have to have the baby at this point in time. I have to get the house. I have to have a white picket fence and I have to, it's like, no, like we have already, if you're, if you're, if you're signing up for the SMC path, you have already already taken it out of order, (laughs) you know, like you have already like shirked the system, right? Like Uh it's that, that ship has sailed. Right. So really at this point, you also have to realize that, you know, you are one person. And I think one of the challenges, one of the biggest challenges of being an SMC, especially when we talk about finances is that it can be super stressful being the only income earner. Mm -hmm. And I think that, if you're in a coupled situation, you could perhaps take more risks mm-hmm. with finances because you know you have two people to fall back on. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage people to be very uh, conservative <laughs> with their finances. Mm-hmm. So if you aren't sure how much it's going to cost you and how much padding you're going to need, you would probably not want to increase your cost of living uh, with your apartment or your house immediately. Right. right? Right. So don't, don't overspend there before you know where you are with the kids. And I think Mm -hmm. I can say for myself, I have also moved uh, a few times and it hasn't always cut like my move to a bigger place hasn't always coincided with my family growing Mm -hmm. because typically what I'll do first is like my family will grow and then I'll assess the funds. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, can we actually afford to move here and still have uh, some level of comfort. And sometimes I have that conversation again with myself, like, let me look at my budget and see what I'm spending and see what I can get rid of. And, uh, you know, and and it could be, I know that for me, when my, when my oldest was getting ready to be school age, I made another assessment of like, okay, I'm about to I'm about to not have the regular daycare expenses here. Mm -hmm. And so can I add that to a mortgage and move to the neighborhood that I want to? Yeah, yeah, that's what I, I kind of had to do um, this time around. Like, you know, now I have a considerable amount more than I'm paying in rent, right? Monthly mortgage, mm-hmm. rent, same same bucket of money. Um, and so I really had to look at what was decreasing. So I moved in July. Um, my youngest turned two in June. So I knew I was going to get, what was that number? About 150 yeah. to $200 drop which Uh I would add to my mortgage. And then my oldest was um, coming out of school, right? School was ending in June. So whatever Mm -hmm. I was paying in before and after care would also now, you know, get added to this mortgage. And then I was going to get um, uh, an increase at work. So Mm -hmm. it really was looking at the gas tank to seeing how it was going to fluctuate. And if this mortgage was how this mortgage was going to to impact Mm -hmm. my budget and my my family finances. So it is something, you know, that you you kind of keep in mind. And last thing um, to say is that 
I know a lot of women who come to the space are really optimistic about, you know, trying to conceive and they're like, yeah, I'm going to be that lucky person who gets pregnant on one IUI or one IVF cycle. I wish and I pray that it worked that way for most of the people. The reality is, is that trying to conceive is one black box and you don't know how long it's going to take. So life, thinking about life on the other side of trying to conceive is really hard to do as you're going into it. So I would, I would say factor that in hope for a short journey, but save for a long journey because anything that's left over goes to childcare. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So before we wrap, I wanted to touch onto one more topic. You know, a lot of, a lot of you are in the stage where you're just you're just trying for your first, right? You may find that a few years from now, you are ready to move on to baby number two. Now, I totally appreciate that many of you are one and done. I was that way for four years until I wasn't. Mm-hmm. So how did things change for you with baby number two with regards to financial planning and all of those things that we just spoke about? So you you ever see those those commercials where they're like with the first baby you know it's all bows and everything yeah. the, the second baby looks like a cat that got dragged around kids being <laughs> held by their toe <laughs> upside down and when I think in terms of my finances it's just that so going into it with my first child I was nervous I was doing this thing and I was like I'm gonna do IUIs and I, uh, so when the first IUI didn't work I was like oh my gosh how am I gonna pay for IVF I, and so I was crying. And I was running the numbers and I was like, but at that point in time, I didn't know that I was fairly, I had always been a rainy day fund person. So I was always saving money. I was a hey mon. So if I had free time and a job opportunity came by, whether it was contract work or, you know, teaching, I did that. So most of my trying to conceive for like the first eight years leading into trying to conceive, I had a a part-time job, you know, teaching. And so I kept that and that really financed my first try, but it was funny that I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do another IUI. I might have to do IVF, but I got pregnant on the second IUI. And so we were good. That was when things were nice and neat and about. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, oh, I'm going to, my child turned one. I was like, I'm going to try for the second baby. And it's going to be, I got one IUI just and two IUIs. And I was just like, oh, wow, I'm, I might have to do IVF. So I was like, okay, I got this. So I looked at my budget and I was like, okay. And I mean, my process, I threw everything, including the kitchen sink to find my child. Cause you know, they say mm-hmm. in the, in this SNC world, your child will find you. Well, I gave my child a spotlight. I gave her a <laughs> compass. I gave her a GPS unit. I gave her a catalog. I was like, come find me, baby. Eventually and it's funny <laughs> because you've said that your youngest has her own way about things. She's like, I will come and do time. You wait. She's like, I, I, I am here for all of it. Like you show up when I tell you to show up and I do. Um, but I say that to say that, you know, I didn't know how much resources I had with the first baby and the second mm-hmm. baby took me all the way out. So I used, you know, I used savings, I used credit cards and the way I handled my credit cards was because like everybody else, I'm going to pay that off. You know, I'm going to pay it off next year within the year that mm-hmm. never happens. So if you're going into te- trying to conceive and you're, you're going to get this baby and you're like, you have to really think in terms of my budget, all the bills I have now, 
because it's never going to get paid off next year because there will be a baby next year. Right. Mm -hmm. And so on top of all the bills you have now, you have to add on childcare and then what you're spending to try to conceive if you're not independently wealthy and paying cash as you go. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had all of this. So I was paying from savings. I had, you know, merit increases at work. I use 401k loans. I use credit cards. And now I am chipping away at paying off the debt with the spoon with the baby and childcare and the mortgage, which means that I'm not taking any trips. So the pandemic actually, you know, I'm just like, here I am pandemic, not going anywhere. Wouldn't be going anywhere. But I will say pandemic. interestingly about the pandemic, I think a lot of parents had unexpected childcare costs during the pandemic. I did. Yep. Because, you know, you've got you, when your kid goes to school, you're like, okay, like here, I'm not, you know, I might not be paying for daycare and, and now, but, but then the pandemic is, and I think that the expectation that parents were just going to be like, okay, cool. I can work while my kids are here. Like, nope. I don't know anybody who was doing that well and, without right. having a, having just one of them or one of the two is going to suffer. I did and, it from like March until July and it nearly broke me. And so, yeah, I did, I did have the unexpected added expense of two in full-time daycare, mm-hmm. which, you know, again, more debt. And I'm just looking at it like, yeah, can't really do anything about it now. You know, hopefully the pandemic will end next year. Yeah. It's, it's the struggle is real out there. So I will say for me, for baby number two, I mean, just, you know, not, a, not as serious as the childcare thing. I will definitely say one of the things that was great is that with baby number one, you know, you want all the nice things, right? You're like, oh, I've got to get the top of the line stroller. And, you know, you learn that like, there's things you just don't need. Like, baby number two like, will survive. <laughs> a bottle warmer is not necessary. And like, you know, the wipe warmers thing, I'm just like, my kids learned that they just needed to deal with cold wipes, right? It's just, a you know, it's a thing. And then there are things that you can also hand down, like, you know, my diaper pails, same diaper pails with both kids. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I have my running stroller is is like, I think at this point, almost a decade old, still Mm -hmm. going strong. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, sometimes you can recycle car seats as long as it hasn't been in an accident. And you know this, right? Uh, expired, you, right? You yeah. Or expired. Uh, and, and then also I will say a thing about clothing. So I think this is also really interesting. We've seen recently people will fight about hand-me-downs, right? In the mm-hmm. space, people will be like, oh, is it okay to accept hand-me-downs? And you'll have people that are like, oh, like my kid doesn't wear anything except for new things. I'm like, care how much money you make you should not be buying newborn clothes because those kids are going to be in it for a hot second and if somebody has hand-me-downs like I think I received a whole year of hand-me-downs for my oldest Mm -hmm. and I was like this rocks I don't even want to go shopping so this is perfect yeah yeah and as long as you keep you know for me like when I, I I have a whole bunch that I am saving for some mocha smcs because mm-hmm. I know people will want them and they're, they're g- gently to barely to never use clothes. So mm-hmm. I will just say that like be it baby number one or baby number two, I am a strong proponent of hand-me-downs because if you can save money by not going out and buying new clothes, like that's a huge parenting hack. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm a big proponent of hand-me-downs. Um, one, because when kids reach a certain age, they are on their knees all the time. So I think, I think from like 
to one and a half until like five. I don't know what kids do with their knees, but it is like running over gravel every time. So the rest of the pants can look really good and the knees are rubbed out. So mm-hmm. Noelle will rock um, denim shorts throughout the summer because all the knees are worn out and I cut above the knees and boom, she's got shorts for the summer. But, you know, and then with the way toddlers eat, I watched the way my kid eats. And if mm-hmm. I cried, if I spent money on every shirt that she's ruined, yeah. Or mm-hmm. that school has ruined with paint or what have you. You you look at school and you're just like, teachers, can y'all not do better than this? Like, how does yeah. she get paint? What is she? So, does she not wear a bib when she's Another thing lunch? you can do, if you don't have any friends that you can pay it forward with, with kids that are, you know, of the right age, you can also take the kids to kids consignment places. And I've actually found a lot of luck by, you know, bringing the you know, the gently used ones, not the stuff that has like food all over it and stuff mm-hmm. to kids consignment. And then you can get credit and then buy the size that actually fits. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. I did that a lot with my oldest. And now that the pandemic is a, I don't know, thing we have to live with, maybe I won't even say that it's over, but just like a thing we have to live with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will likely also do that for the things that I can't uh, gift to people who are in that right stage. Yep. All right. So Finally, you do not have to be wealthy to be an SMC. Yeah, I think for me, it's just have a plan and yeah. really have a have a sit down with yourself about your finances and be honest with yourself about the things that are nice to haves and must haves. And if you do that and you then factor in all the other expenses, I think you'll be good. Yeah, and be flexible. Well, Pod. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you like what you heard, share us with your girlfriends. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So tell us what you thought of this episode on social media. On Facebook, we are at Mocha SMC Podcast. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Mocha SMC. You can find additional information on the topics from the podcast at our website at mochasmc.com. Till next time, pod. Bye now.